Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today we are joined by Rabbi Moshe Don Kestenbaum, author of the newly released Oilam Havida. Thank you Rabbi Kestenbaum for being here. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to have you here. It's an honor to have read your Svarim, both in Hebrew and in English, and now the newly released Oilam Havida, which has been translated into English. Let's start there. How did you get into the field of writing Svarim, and then we'll hear about some of your history and also your foray into the world of Chinuch. So my first Sefer, which is the most popular of my Svarim, is Olam Amidos. And what I think is nice about Olam Amidos is when I started writing it, I did not intend to write it. Um, for many years I was in Waterbury and I was teaching in the base Medish, Musser, then I eventually went to the high school, and I gave Vadim in Orcha Sadiqin. And one of the Yungalites, Sheila Luzenga, who's now a Rav in Texas, I believe Houston, he asked me if I would give a weekly vad to the married, to the kolo. So this was unique, because usually I was just learning Orcha Sadiqim and then kind of going off on a tangent. But here I had to prepare a weekly schmooze, which I'd never done before. So I started preparing, and I started writing to prepare. And all of a sudden I realized that I had a lot to write, a lot of material. And I wrote well past I ever gave to those, in those Vadim, and it turned out to be a Sefer, which is to me obviously special because it wasn't like, I want to write a Sefer, I need to fill up pages, I want to write about jealousy, let me just see what I can come up with. I was writing Chazal and ideas that I myself had used in my own Avodah Hashem. And that was published initially in Lashon Kodesh? Published in Lashon Kodesh about almost 15 years ago. Wow. And later released in Art Scroll, by Art Scroll in English? Yeah, two years ago, Baruch right. Hashem. Very well received. Baruch Hashem. And what was your next Sefer after that? Next Sefer... Next Sefer was in English, I think I switched off. I wrote an English Sefer called Run After the Right Kavod. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, Kavod is my favorite topic. I think that's what people need. And that's what young people need, that's what old people need. They need to feel good, feel respected. So I took a certain amount of that, I think, from articles that I read that you may have helped edit. And um, so that was the next Sefer. I didn't get art school on that one. Maybe one day they'll re, uh, redo it. But, um, and then I wrote Olam Avoda. You know, Olam Avoda is about five years after Olam Amidos, five, six years. So in between, I wrote Sefer, Run After the Right Kavod. Well received, not as well known, but those that have learned it, mm -hmm. Baruch Hashem, I get a lot of good feedback. And now the, the new volume of Oilam Avoida in English is divided into 40 different sections, right? Yes, we're giving the option of, okay. of, divide, of reading it in 40 days. And what was the thought process with that? It wasn't my idea. It was, it was Mrs. Heimwitz, my editor's idea, okay. but she thought, I think it was her idea, or one of, someone in Art Scroll thought it would be good for people to have a way to, to learn it by the day. But it doesn't have to be learned that way. Mm -hmm. So this way, you know, happens to be where wasn't originally even going to come out for Elul because these are topics that we need to work on all year. Mm -hmm. Torah, tefillah, midos, everything. But happens to be, Ashkacha has it that we got delayed and coming out Elul. So it works out well, 40 days, you know, to, to Yom Kippur from Rosh mm -hmm. Now I was fascinated to learn that you actually grew up or was, you were born and raised in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. 
I was born in Canada. I moved to oh, Wilkes-Barre okay. when I was about five. The only thing I know about the Wilkes-Barre are the Wilkes-Barre Barons. They weren't there when I was there, okay. so <laughs> I didn't get to, uh, to have that. And I moved to Farakway when I was right before my bar mitzvah. Okay, so you grew up, uh, a lot of, many of your formative years were spent in Farakway. Who, where did you attend yeshiva and who were your, who were the influential figures in your life so at that my, time? So my primary rabbi, certainly when we talk about Musser, is Rabbi Per, Rabbi Chiel Per, the Rosh Hashiva, Rishi Farakway. He really got me into Musser, which we'll explain a little bit what Musser means. People have mm-hmm. a misunderstanding of Musser. People think Musser is... You're going to go to Gehenim if you don't do this. People think of Musser of, as very intense and very maybe even discouraging for some people. And hopefully we're trying to change that attitude. My Rebbe, when he taught Musser, we loved, we loved it. It was fun. He would make jokes. And to me, Musser is, certainly when you talk about Midos, it's about understanding yourself. You could even laugh at yourself. You're taking yourself so seriously. You know, the other day I got a phone call from somebody, and he's like, Hi, you know, I didn't know the person, and, I, and he's like, hi, Moshe, how you doing? And I'm like, I was like a little bit like, oh, Moshe, like, people don't call me that anymore. Usually people call me with a title, and then I, then I laugh at myself, like, why are you taking yourself so seriously? You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're Moshe, that's how you grew up. I got the done, added on in high school. One of my rabbeim, Rabbi Kalish, Rabbi Shua Kalish, made that popular, but don't take yourself so seriously. So it's, it's amazing. It's amazing to learn about yourself. And Now, when Rabbi Per was teaching you on your fellow Haverim Musser in Yeshiva Farakway. What, what text was he using as a basis mainly, for his Mainly he was using Madrega Sadam. And those were my favorite, some, some of the you know, pieces in Madrega Sadam. But to be honest, I didn't pay so much attention when he was reading the Madrega Sadam. I paid much more attention when he stopped reading and started mm-hmm. talking. And he has a lot, a lot to share. And what was the primary message at the time that resonated with you? I don't, know, I don't know if I thought of it so much, so much about a primary message, but I think the lesson that I learned and what you know, brought me to where I could write Olam Amidos is he taught me to be, he taught us to really be aware of our thoughts and what we're mm-hmm. thinking and what we're feeling and how often we're, there's jealousy, there's anger, but so many people unfortunately are unaware of their own feelings, their own thoughts, and that's dangerous. People, you know, people are upset at somebody else and they think, oh, that person did this to me, and they're not seeing their own shortcomings that are involved, their anger, the bad midos. If people would just see with clarity what's going on, everything would change. Mm-hmm. And their lives would be a lot better. You have better marriage. You're better with your kids. It's, so is it just about seeing with clarity? Is that kind of a, a, a summary of the way you're viewing your musr that you're imparting? I think with Olam Amidos, not with Olam Avoda, mm-hmm. um, Olam Amidos is to me in the shortest term self-awareness and then being ready to, to tackle it. But if you're not aware, there's nothing to tackle. There are people that are always right, there are people that are perfect. You're aware of your shortcomings and it's okay. It's okay to have shortcomings and then you're prepared to, to work on it. And what happened with me, you know, Baruch Hashem is now when I got jealous, um, I actually thought about it and I tried to work with it. I'll give you a story that changed my life that I told uh, Bachram recently, that I had a friend of mine that was very intense, and he would dive in long shmonesres, and it was hard for me because I felt like of two cents, because he's a big tzaddik, and diving is crazy shmonesres, and I just dive in, you know, long shmonesres. Not too sure, you always make sure that after the shliach tzibur starts, you know, before <laughs> Kedusha, you never, never start before the shliach tzibur, <laughs> but 
he would daven these intentional monasteries. And one time I finished monastery, and, and I used to not be able to look at him because it was so hard to just see him. Mm-hmm. And I put, somehow I got inspiration in my head that I turned to him. He was to my right, and I turned to him. And I said, it's beautiful the way he davens. I could be inspired from that. I could learn from that. And that changed my life. Because now when I see people that are doing things that maybe make me feel a little bit less, I change it and say, instead of making a competition, just accept, appreciate. Having an eye in Taiva. Not even an eye in Taiva. I had the good eye before. I saw the good. But not, I'm bad because of it. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful what he's doing. As a bystander, let me be a bystander. Forget about Moshe Don. Forget about my own problem. My shortcomings in my daven. Step out. Look at the way he davens. Step out. Look at the way he learns. You know, so much, so much of people's, you know, are hurt by jealousy, and, and then sometimes you put Would the you guy down. Would you say that a lot of people nowadays can't fog in someone else's success, yeah. both spiritually and materially? Yeah, because of, because of jealousy. But if I stepped out for one minute, it changed my life. Now, you mentioned before that your favorite topic is COVID. Yes. Even though Chazal say that Haray Defachar COVID yes. Is, yes. is not painted positively. Yes. So explain what you mean when you say that yes. running after the right covenant and why covenant is perhaps the most important thing to give to a person. To a person. So you just have to understand what, what covenant is. You can't chase real covenant. So let me explain. I can go on for a long time on this topic. But covenant means to, well, covenant I'm talking about means to feel good about yourself. If somebody, if I catch somebody in a random yeshiva learning Olam Amidos, there's no greater covenant than that. I don't have to go to him and say, <coughs> you know, you know who wrote that sefer. That's kavod. But if someone gives you a bracha under the chuppah, what, and, and everyone stands up for you, you and, and there happens to be a thousand people at the wedding, this is something that my Rebbe taught, taught us this idea. He said, they're not giving you kavod because you're so important. They're not giving me kavod because of anything I've done. They're giving me kavod because they called up, they called me up as rabbi. If, it hap- if I was a conservative rabbi and nobody knew about it, they would also stand up. If I was a Russia, hopefully I'm not, they'd also stand up. So I, that covered, well, I feel good, but I don't think about it the next minute after the wedding or even after the chuppah. Ooh, I'm so chashiv. I got a bracha. I got a kibbutz. Oh, he's, he's my Talmud. I got a kibbutz. I don't, I don't get him so much, but I got a kibbutz. So when you understand what real covered about, you can't buy, you can't chase real covered. Covered has to be given to you. Pasuk says, is alternative art, the covet of Chacham is inherited. You can't buy it. Mm-hmm. So when people are chasing Kavod, they just don't understand what covet is. Why are you chasing that? It's shallow. If you chase it, if I sit up, I'm not coming to the wedding unless I get a bracha. I'm not doing this unless... So don't you feel cheap that you're doing that? So I can't, I can't chase real Kavod. So run after right Kavod, that title basically means chase right Kavod. What is right Kavod? Right Kavod is feeling good about yourself for yourself. Real covet is understanding your value as a person, your chashivas. Real covet is about giving covet to other people. So that's, that's the right covet, and that's the only covet. And then it helps me out of my own life. I like covet. I like when people, this is a big covet being here for this interview, but I know I can't chase it. So sometimes, I have, if, let's say I have an opportunity to get covet, someone asks me to, to get a bracha on the, by a chasa. And I'll tell him, not always, but I've to, sometimes I'll tell the person, look, if you have other people, don't worry about me. But I know that this is great because if he doesn't give me the bracha, Hashem's going to give me something better later. Chazal said anyone who runs away from kavod, kavod chases after him. It's not exactly chazal, kolbrech menagdula. Seal Sharm uses the language of kavod. Kavod chases after you. So my, when I was a youngster, Baruch Hashem, I, feel, I was so proud of myself. I had the following question. If kavod's bad, so why are you being told that kavod's going to go after you? 
you be punished for, right. for, for doing it? I thought that kasha when I was maybe you know, 19, 20 years old, I was so excited. And I thought, and I realized, no, we need kavod. It gives a person life. It gives a person chiz to keep, keep going. If people mm-hmm. don't get kavod, they, they fall apart. But Chazal are telling us, you, your job is not to chase it. Hashem says, you do your best to stay away. I'll give you the kavod you need. I'll give you real kavod. There's real kavod. There's real kavod like putting out a safer. I'm very blessed. You can have kavod from, from nachas from your children. You can't buy this kavod. This is kavod that Hashem will give you. So how do you apply that in dealing with Bachram? You're a mashkiach. We should mention mashkiach in the yeshiva. Yeshiva Hechal HaTorah of Tinek. And we were actually joined a few of your Talmidim were nice enough to join us here in the bleachers watching chashib, the interview. Chashib, so chashib, chashib thank talmidim. you for coming out here. It's not every day that we have fans in the seats. Shlomo so Hershey, Josh Packer, we'll give them thank a shout out. So thank you for joining us. Um, but you, you have a colossal impact on the lives of these boys. Um, we've heard from Talmidim of yours that you have a Kayach to connect to them in a very, very unique way that maybe other influences, other Abayim over the years haven't had. What role does teaching Kavod to them play in that connection? Yeah, before you talk about teaching Kavod, which what you're asking is, is I, I hold, I respect the Bachram. I don't know if I'm the best connector, I have to work on that, but I value each, each Bachar, I value each student. And if you value them, they feel that you respect them, and then they believe in themselves. The same way they see you believe in them, they believe in themselves. And just you know, to speak a little bit about it, we're, we're to, what gets in the way of, of mechanchem or parents? You know, you know I, hate, I hate to uh, hate to show off, but I also wrote a parenting book, which I have to recommend, the heart the heart of parenting. Okay. Um, the 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 kavod, when what gets in the way is when you see a child is struggling. So a kid is not learning, a kid's making trouble in class, and then you lose cover for him. And the kids sense, I always tell parents all the time, it's not what you tell your child, it's what you're feeling. They can sense if you're looking down at them. But parents tell me, I work with parents on the side, and parents tell me, but I, I never say anything bad, I, don't, I never insult, I never criticize him, I always tell him I love him, but what are you thinking? What are you feeling? If it's okay, there's only one. I want to share you with you one bar that just sure. came, to, came to me last week, which I uh, enjoy. By the Paraduma, we know it's a chok, Parshas Chukas, but uh, Paraduma is a chok because the water that makes the person tar, the mechatas, the mixture of the ashes of water that makes a person tar, also makes the people carrying it involved in it tummy. So the question is, how could it be? The mechatos that makes the person tar could also make the person tell me it's not fair. But maybe we should rephrase the question. How could it be the mechatos that can make the person carrying, bringing there first, tame, that that mechatos can make the person tar? Wow. You can apply this in many different ways, but I apply it with the way we look at other people. Person struggling during Seder to learn. And you're looking at him. How could it be that he wastes so much time? Maybe you should think the other way. It's hard for him to come to yeshiva. It's hard for him to sit. And he still comes every day. When you look at the kid, and especially when you're dealing with younger children, teenagers, they're young. What are you, you're blaming them? It's like their fault. They're lazy. Come on. That's, they're set. That's what they're handed. There's so much good there. If you see the good, then they'll feel it, and, and good things happen. You have to learn to develop an eye and tov. An eye and tov just means, this is something that Kalish says over a beautiful var, eye and tov just means a good eye. It means a good eye. You see, you see the truth. You're not fooling yourself. You see the truth. The truth is, is a, there's a good boy. There's so much goodness there. 
wouldn't you say that most disappointment comes from expectations? So we expect something, and because whatever it is doesn't materialize, that's what gets us down. So in Chinuch as well, and dealing with Talmidim and children, when we expect a certain result and we don't see that result that we kind of painted a picture of what we want to see, then that automatically will lead to disappointment. Whereas, like you're saying, if you spin it around and you look at it positively at what the child is contributing or what they're doing despite whatever challenges they might have, so then that automatically will help us view their accomplishments in a whole different See, way. you touched a raw nerve. The word expectations, I remember. Expectations is a very bad word, especially on other people. I mm-hmm. expect you to be getting up for davening. I expect you to be learning. I expect you. You know, I don't know if everyone's going to understand what I'm saying here. I don't have enough time to explain, but who are you? Yes, you're the parent. You brought them into the world. What does it mean you expect on somebody else? You're... They don't owe it, even parents, even my own children. I don't want them davening or learning because it's my expectations. They're here Frasham. You're touching on a very interesting point because I think most parents and even educators view it as a quid pro quo. We're providing X, Y, and Z to you. We're giving you a house, a house, shelter, food, and we're expecting a certain level of performance. And in a school also, we're providing an environment of education for you. We expect you to toe the line in a quid pro quo type of arrangement. And you're saying, Well, let me say it like this. They didn't sign up for this. They didn't sign up to be born to you. They didn't sign up to your house. They didn't even sign up for Torah, Baruch Shem, their Zoka to be a Yid and learn Torah. They didn't sign up for it. We have to understand that sometimes a parent that works so hard to get to where they got to, or the Rebbe works so hard to repair this year, at least you should listen. That was your decision. I just want to say the main idea of parenting is I don't measure my parenting success Personally, for my own children, I'm very proud of them. I don't measure success by how good your kids are. There's some people that are terrible parents in terms of their skills, and they have wonderful children. Don't measure your parenting skills by what type of child you have. Hashem gives, everyone has Bechira, and many children that today are struggling, one day become, I just got an email from a father, a beautiful email. He's an amazing person, because from years ago, he remembers that when his son was in Waterbury, I would give them chizuk. He's a wonderful mechanech. I would give him chizak. He struggled with his own kid. And I said, one day, who knows, this, your, this child that's struggling, was really struggling, he may give you more nachas than all your other children. And he has wonderful children. And he just sent me an email, Mamish, this morning. He's like, he actually tried calling me. He's like, thank you so much. You don't have much chizak you gave me during that process. And now it's true. My son is going to the mirror. He's such a ben Torah. You know, so... You know, just you have to believe in them, but also don't expect. You know, you have to just put in your job is to give them the love. Your job is to give them the respect. That's your job. You have to answer the question after 120. Did I give my child everything I could have? And then the rest is up to them. I will tell you 99.9. There are exceptions. There are outside things, etc. Plenty of stories like that. I don't blame parents. You know, that's why I don't assume because a kid's struggling. It's a parent's fault. Mm-hmm. But you have to ask yourself as a parent, am I giving my child everything I can? The rest is up to them, and a lot of parents don't realize that point. I'm giving, the rest is up to them. Not forcing, not his success is my success. You know, I don't I think take the, success, I don't take credit mm-hmm. by children, by tell me them. I think the world views it that way, something you just said, his success is my success. The world very much views people as either successful or not by how their children are performing, and I think by default that's why people view themselves that way, kind of reflects on themselves if their children are yeah. not doing well. Yeah. And the same as Mechanchem. Some Mechanchem want to teach elite students because if their students are doing well, 
then that reflects positively yeah. on them. Whereas if you're working with those who struggle, then some people mistakenly believe that that somehow reflects on their level of success. What do you yeah. say about that? Doesn't, doesn't reflect. You know, I, I never understood uh, of the yeshiva would say, we're the best yeshiva. You're the best yeshiva because you take in the best eighth graders going into ninth grade who are already learning. You're going to have to answer after 120, and I'm not saying anyone's not doing a good job, but the point is, they're going to have to answer after 120, did you take these ninth graders who are excited to learn, and did you make them the gedolim, the people they could have became? Hashem is going to measure us by what we did, the effort that we put in, and what we gave them. Anyone can take in the goody-goodies, I happen to have been one of them, by the way, but you, anyone can take in the goody-goodies and, and be successful with them. If, and they're not really successful, because they could mm -hmm. be doing much, much more. So... You have to, you know, it's, uh, now, also, also just add one more point, sure. I'm sorry, is sure. also, also don't measure success by a very narrow window. Not every kid can sit and learn, especially when they're, you know, 10, 13, 15, 16, people have ADHD, people have a hard time sitting, people have challenges, you know, but not everyone's success is measured by learning, first of all, at a certain age, and also some people's success can be measured by other, other things. And how many people who weren't successful in yeshiva today are supporting, supporting yeshivas? And I always laugh, like, this bacher that you're being tough on and you're criticizing him, one day you're going to come to him and ask him for money? I don't know if he should give you. But, you know, like, you have to be a little open-minded as to what success means. You also have to be open-minded that that bacher is different than you. And, you know, a lot of Rebbeim I see, they just don't understand that that bacher is not, like, not you. Mm -hmm. Now, you're talking about showering them with love and really giving them their space, we'll call it. But how does a parent or a Rebbe or a Machanach know when to draw the line? How do you know when to crack down? Or, or, or it's, it's, it's kind of a hard balance. It's a, great, it's a great question. It's a great question. By nature, or by nature, nurture, I'm more of a softer parent, a softer personality. But, so I don't, I'm not going to tell parents, I wrote the, my parenting book, um, actually, funny story, I sent it to art school, the parenting book, and they said, it's amazing, where's the rest? Because mm -hmm. it's a short book, but mm -hmm. there's a lot in there. But the, the main thing to me about parenting is, is developing the relationship. And I think different parents can go with different ways. You could be a little bit tougher, a little bit softer. The main thing is you're close with your child. And the second thing I want to point out, which is very nogeet to chinuch in the schools as well, how you're going to deliver the message. So I'll just give you an example I like to give. A kid comes into yeshiva with this, needs a haircut. So you could tell the kid, you need a haircut. You could do it in front of other kids, which is unforgivable, really. It's a, it's a isser to embarrass somebody in public. You can call the kid to office. You're at a higher level. And you could say, you need to get a haircut. A kid told me, my a kid told me that his manal, again, this is exception, but Manal called him to office and he said, he, he said, if you don't come back with a haircut by Monday, don't come back. And the kid told me, he told me, he said, I decided not to go back to yeshiva. He was doing okay. He said, I didn't go back to yeshiva because I wasn't taking that. If the Manal, in general, this is a very important rule for parents, you can discipline, but there's never an excuse to do without respect. You can call the kid into office and say, I mean, if you were me, you'd probably say, you know, I love you here, it's cool. But it's yeshiva, people judge us, other kids are going to learn. Be honest, that's another message for chenach. Don't tell them fake reasons because you, you don't think it's strong enough. Kids like the truth. This is the truth. It doesn't look good. People will judge us. I'm sorry. Otherwise, if you were the only guy in the yeshiva, you'd keep your hair. But we need, I need a favor. Do me a favor. I don't want to fight with you. Please get a haircut. Most kids are going to listen to you. 
and even our own children. Discipline with respect. I don't see ever an excuse not to treat a kid with respect. You can be tough with respect. How tough you should be, I think every situation is different, every parent's different. I don't have a rule on it, but I have a rule. Love your kid, get to know them, get to be close with them, have a good relationship with your kid, and really try hard with respect. Of course, you have to work on your midos if you're an angry person, and you talk to your kids when you're angry, and you talk to your talmidim when you're angry. It's not going to work, because you're not going to talk with respect. Just the fact you're angry already. Mm -hmm. You try talking to your wife, you know, spouse, when you're angry, even if you say it nicely, it doesn't go well. Now, this method of chinuch that you espoused, who would you say you see out there is applying it? Who's your hero or role model in doing this exact thing? I would say it's what I learned in Waterbury under Ray Kaufman and Rebbe Kalish, mm -hmm. um, what they're doing in Waterbury. I was a Rebbe in Waterbury for, in the high school for 10 years. I was in the base medish ten for 10 years before that. Mm -hmm. um, but I learned, I think by nature, I was always had a, somewhat of an eye in tov, I would say, and seeing the good. And... I just, I just see, I just saw what happens. I see how kids who are hurt in other places, I see how kids are hurt in their homes. I see it, and I worked, I've worked with a lot of parents, and I see the results of good parenting and nebuch bad parenting. And I want to say that even if your kid is doing great, if you're not following these lines of having a relationship and treating with love and treating with respect, there's probably a lot of pain mm -hmm. in that child. Whether we'll ever see it or we'll not ever see it, what's the difference? It's certainly affecting him. Today, to be a good father, to be a good husband, we have to raise healthy children. So don't just be satisfied. Well, my kid's behaving in yeshiva. He's scared of me, and that's why he's behaving. It's working well. You know what? Life is not 0 to 18, 0 to 21, or 0 to 30, because unfortunately we've seen stories of people falling apart in their 30s. It's a long life, and we should never get caught up in today and now. There's so much, so much involved here. Now, there are youngsters who struggle for the reasons you mentioned, where maybe they, were, they weren't receptive to the tough love. But then you have others, and I know you've encountered them, youngsters, teenagers, who just don't have an interest. And you can't really pinpoint a reason, but they're just not connecting to Yiddish guy. They don't have an appreciation. They might have very wonderful parents, fabulous rabbeim, and just they're not connecting. What message do you give to those who are educating and raising children like that? How do you turn them on to Yiddishkeit? How do they create a, a connection to the Rabbani Shalom that they just seem not to have an interest in? I think, I think, again, the patience is a huge factor. Sometimes a kid, a lot of kids, you know, maybe are not ready to buckle down. For whatever reasons, whether they can't sit still, whether they just can't get, whatever reasons, they're not ready to sit down until 18. Patience. So many kids have been killed before they had the chance mm -hmm. because they've been given negative message. You're not learning. You're doing this. You're not doing that. If we see kids positively, I assume you want to do good. Uh, another part I like to say is parents will ask the child, I don't understand why you're doing this. I can't understand why you're doing it. A Rebbe says, can't understand why you're not learning. I can't understand this rhetorical question. How about, I want to understand. Why is it that it's hard for you to learn? Another thing I like to say is that a lot of kids have questions. And, you know, a kid told me that he asked his Rebbe once why women cannot wear pants, and they, the Rebbe threw him out of the classroom. The kid meant the question. Sometimes kids ask questions that were, oh, they're just asking. It's to be provocative. They're just provocative. They're just asking because they're looking for an excuse to, to, mm -hmm. to do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. This is very important. Kids that are drugs and other things, they're not doing it because they're happy and they have such a bal, and they're bali taiva. It's stupidity. They're just in pain and they've been hurt, 
And this is a diversion, a distraction for them. Mm. People want to live meaningful lives. They do. If you understand that and assume it, you'll see a lot of answers and you'll ask. You'll be curious. I'll ask the kid. I want to understand. But a lot of these kids did not always have rebellion that, first of all, you have a 25, 30 kids in your class. Maybe they didn't get the time they needed. Mm -hmm. They need more time. A lot of kids, you know, don't belong. They just, I was just told someone recently, look, in the old days, kids want to work at 10. Is the school system, like, perfect for everybody? Not necessarily. So we have to keep these things in mind. Not everyone was geared to go to, to school the way it is. So you have to, I wish, I wish, that hopefully the specialist gets out. We have to open more yeshivas that are more accommodating. Everyone wants to be the Aleph Yeshiva, and nobody wants to open up a yeshiva. First of all, you can be an Aleph kid brains, but you can't sit still. Right. People don't realize that. You can have a Bayes Gimel kid who could sit and learn, but, but can't learn as fast. But we give mm -hmm. a message, unfortunately, in, in some places, that if you're weaker in learning, like Chas Hashem, you know, you're second rate. You're second rate, so that kid, first of all, loses inspiration very often, be sure. too early. Mm -hmm. People need to open up yeshivas that are accommodating. Don't make the yeshiva what you want success to be. Focus on the kids you have, you know? Some yeshivas always throwing kids out. Maybe you have to think about, maybe I need to do something different rather than get rid of the kids. And are you prepared to do something different? Same thing with parenting. It's not about what you want your kid to be. It's about what my kid needs. It's an amazing message, a vital message. I think more people need to hear that. Now, in your newest Sefer, let's going back to Elam Avoida, talk about the content of the Sefer. What was the focus in writing it? It's very different than Elam Amidus. Talk yeah. about what the goal is. So we're, the truth is, you go to Elam Avoida, we're going to like a whole different world. Like right. a take two here. And I'm going to be, you know, it sounds strange, but I, I believe in being honest. So this is really the, the story. Um, I know Shaykh is so much to writing a sefer like Olam Avoda at all. Those that you know have learned it will learn it, will understand it's a it's a hecher a sefer. Right. Um, what happened was I don't know exactly the details. There was a, a chash of a talmud of mine. Today's a young man in Eretz Yisrael, Avi Jaffe, chash of a young man. So he would get me. I used to pick him up from the dorm very early in the morning. He's a big tzaddik. If I was running a little late, he would, he would just walk, even though it was a 10-minute walk uphill. So I started going with him early in the mornings. And one day, I just picked up a Dar Hashem with Rabbi Kaplan's translation. And I pretty much read the English. Okay? Not so smart. I read the English. And I fell in love with it. And it's not the first time I opened Dar Hashem, here and there. I don't know what happened. It's really an uh, unusual story. I just fell in love with it. I learned it about two, three times over the next few months. And I just kind of jumped. I went to different places, which I'm not there today. In fact, I would not put out the safer today just because I'm embarrassed, even if I had the information. But when I wrote it, I meant it. And similar to Olam Amidos, I didn't sit down to write the safer. It did happen very fast. I was on a higher plateau for about a year, and, or a year and change, and some point, Six months in, I, all the material in Olam Avoda came to me during that tkufa. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like Olam Midas, which was 10 years of work. It all just came to me. Because the Darach Hashem talks about that everything in Yiddishkeit is and close to Hashem. So then I started thinking, one second, and this is something which I think the Sefer is very helpful for. When you ask somebody, what's the main thing about it, main part of Yiddishkeit of Hashem? Learning Torah. Well, what about Midos? Oh, it's also important. What about Tefillah? It's also important. So I started thinking, how does it come together? So, and then Hashem 
just gave me, flooded me over the next few months with explanations, understanding, and this safer is just a gift from Hashem. It sounds arrogant, but I don't know, but it's uh, just a gift from Hashem. And, uh, but to summarize, you would say it's more about how to cultivate so, and, and nurture so, our relationship. So to, with so to summarize, summarize is ex first little explanation that the goal is closest to Hashem. One of the examples I use is you're running from the bathroom to go to the base medish as you're mumbling Asher Yatsar. It's a, it's, besides the fact it's not the way to make a bracha, and I'm talking to myself too, but there's also a misunderstanding of why you're running to the base medish. Mm -hmm. You run to the base medish to connect to Hashem, and as you're mumbling to Hashem, you get there. So really, the first section is all about the, the goal of getting close to Hashem with a lot of nice ideas. And then I go through different sections, Torah first, but how each different area gets you close to Hashem, and more different ideas in each section, like what tefillah is about. You know, I even have a cute, I even have a section in Olam Avodah called Olam Amidos, and I talk about how Midos affects our relationship to Hashem. Mm -hmm. Your original Elam Amidus, we could say, is more Beidadam Lachaveiroi. Exactly. This is Elam Amidus as relates to our relationship with the Rabbanu Shlomo. You know, I'm not going to bring it anyway, but it'll be like Mesil Sham Orchas Adikim. It's two different focuses. Right. Well, the message in this Sefer and all your Svarim seem to resonate with people. It's something you're talking to us, not over our heads. I think that seems to be something that you've tapped into. Is that something that you do cognitively on purpose? Is it just the way you're. Musser has evolved, what would you say? Uh, I think it's because I'm not so, not so smart. <laughs> and I don't understand, like when I write... Some, I should say, some, I should some, say your tummy told me that you're very humble. So uh, I not, don't know if this I'm is not, just not, sheer humility. I'm not humble either. Um, <laughs> but all, so many things I, I write about. You know, all my vote I said is a gift. It's not crazy concepts, but it's a gift. But... A lot of what I talk about in general is just common sense. Mm -hmm. And I've never had anyone like, he could argue with me. When you tell the kid to do something, tell it to him nicely. You, there are things you don't argue with. Right. Just, it's just common it's seichel. sense. Seichel. So maybe Hashem gave me a certain yashras, hopefully, that I have not corrupted too much. Certain yashras of seeing things in a, in a straight way. But common sense is not so common. Right. So that's so why we Hashem, need someone like you to enlighten us, to help us out. You know, Halavai should be, should be Zohar. Uh, well, we definitely appreciate that message. We thank you for coming out from Waterbury, from Teaneck, to here for this conversation. Mazel tov on the release of this new Sefer, Elam Avoid, a very exciting achievement for you. You'll be Messiah and many others, Svarim. Keep enlightening us. Any closing message that you have for us as we conclude the conversation? I would say just be honest, just be real, be willing to look at yourself, understand yourself. Also, like we spoke about, people need kavod. And people are afraid, I think, to look at themselves because, oh, I have this shortcoming, I have that shortcoming. If we would just, it's okay. It's okay to have shortcomings. I have more than anyone else. It's fine. The question we have to ask ourselves is, am I trying to get there? Am I trying to work on myself? So really, Olam Midos is working on your Midos between you and yourself. It's been Adam Lechavero, but it's really been Adam Lo'atzmo, that you're working on yourself. So many people are good outside the house, but maybe not as good, unfortunately, inside the house. To be a real person. And the same thing comes to the Olam Avodah. And again, I have to work on myself. To be real, you know, to, to work on our davening. To, unfortunately, today, there's a lot about PR. And we have to remember, well, PR, sometimes we need to do. But we don't want to live our life as one big PR. We want to be real. When no one else is around, 
What I want to see is to me and myself, what am I up to, what am I working on, what I want to become. Well, thank you for those messages. And in we should all be zaycha, to be real, to live real, and to personify these eternal messages, these important messages that you've taught us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much.